They were something. If you're like me, you head into each new day with at least a bit of optimism, feeling that maybe, just maybe, we're on a trajectory toward good, a world that looks a bit more like God intended it, with greater levels of freedom, of love, and care for our siblings and for creation. And then reality kind of settles in really quickly. Things in the world, both near and far, are not quite right. The things that came to my mind this week were the war and genocide taking place in Gaza, the continued war in Ukraine, the mass shooting in Maine, the ongoing gang violence and instability in Haiti, everyday injustices inflicted upon those who challenge the status quo with all of its toxic ideologies and isms, and simply the interpersonal conflict that exists, probably including among whoever egged my house last night as well, not sure, so I'm real, I'm real worked up this morning. In a world that feels hostile or inhabitable, as Brittany put it last week, sometimes we don't know what we're meant to do in this moment in time. Personally speaking, I can feel a bit paralyzed. Or more commonly, I begin to grumble. Because frankly, there's a lot to complain about. I have started to see grumbling or complaining, though, as a necessary part of the process of lamenting and being propelled to change and to live differently. Our text for today jumps way back into the book of Exodus, chapter 16. It is a familiar story. God responds with manna to the people who have been grumbling. Friends, let me just say that some days I find it hard to find my place in the larger story of God or to identify with the people found in the biblical narrative, but today is not one of those days. Today's story of manna in the wilderness sets the tone for the slow, steady, faithful work of consistent metabolism that takes place alongside the external composting work as we connect with what is being awakened in us and what our bodies know about the generative forces passed down to us. Before I read the text for this morning, let's be reminded that this section of the story comes just after the rescue from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, or more appropriately translated, the Sea of Reeds. The people would have carried unleavened bread with them from Egypt, along with some other supplies, including their wealth in animals or livestock, which is actually quite common in agrarian societies even today. After three days of no water in the wilderness, the grumbling commences. I like how the Read, Wonder, Listen Bible, which I think our kids are using this morning too. It's lovely. I like how this Bible puts this part of the story. It says this, In those first days of freedom, the people of Israel were so happy they woke up every morning with glad hearts, eager for each step of the journey that would bring them closer to the promised land. But as the weeks and months passed 
and they were still in the desert, they grew impatient. Where are you leading us? They asked Moses. Why is it taking so long? When will we get there? Are you sure you know the way? God told Moses, these people are not ready to live in the promised land. First, they need to learn who they are and how they should live. How will they learn? asked Moses. I will show them, said God. The desert is the best place for getting ready. God then responds, bringing the people into Elam, where there are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and here they camped out for quite some time. And then we arrive at our text for today, chapter 16. I'm going to read from the NRSV. You are welcome to click a link there in your bulletin and follow along, or you can just listen. And I am going to stop along the way and make some comments as we go. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. That means it's been a while. It's been a while since they left Egypt, and their supplies, like the unleavened bread, are surely running out. And of course, no one wants to cut into their wealth and livestock. They're maybe hangry, at the very least, but surely, and more likely, starving. The desert does not contain sustenance. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained, or grumbled, against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So in the, in the midst of their complaining, they make clear that they had eaten quite well in Egypt. It's almost like they're romanticizing their time there. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them, whether or not they follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. I will test them. You see, the people were not ready to live as God had intended. Could they trust God in their daily lives? We might say that they were still learning who they were to be and who they were becoming. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. 
Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. This evening and morning pattern may be a bit of a reflection of another familiar story, that of creation, with its natural patterns of time and of life. In the evening, quails came upon and came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. To which I think, what an appropriate image for this time of year, right? When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Or, as it's translated, manna, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as you need. An omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for their own tents. Now, you're probably going, what's an omer? It's basically a little over two quarts, okay? Gives you a bit of a picture. All right. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it as much as each needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. As I read this, I can't help but make the comparison to what it looks like to not overconsume. That each person has what they need, not to the detriment of their neighbor or to the land. And in my mind, this has overtones of jubilee, of redistribution. That each person would have what they need for the day that sharing and mutuality be the ethos of the people of God. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all of the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. Of course they did. I wonder, why did they even bother to go out, right? (sighs) All right. Additionally, I want to take a moment to mention a point that uh, this story is really clearly a depiction of something miraculous. The Hebrew Bible commentary makes note that large flocks of quail, uh, migratory quail, would have been uh, sometimes found in the desert of Sinai, so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. And that manna could have been identified as a sugar-like secretion from some desert aphids. However, obviously repeated migration would not have been a thing, and the secretion of aphids ceasing on the seventh day, not very likely, 
And so this is understood as a miracle story. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Again, we have another reference and another mirroring to the creation story in which the pattern of life is set. Rhythms of work and rest, of planting, of harvesting, of breathing, of pushing, of creating and enjoying that which has been created, of doing and of being established for the good of the world. Again, knowing where we're at in that balance requires attentiveness to ourselves and to God and to one another, as was encouraged last week through the practice of imaginative prayer. The house of Israel called it manna. What is it? It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations in order that they may see the food with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. All right, friends. Forty years is a really long time to be sustained by manna, all right? Obviously. But keeping a jar of basically breadcrumbs around for the remainder throughout the generations is a bit strange. It did cross my mind that maybe we could, um, you know, all make little jars of breadcrumbs to take home today, and that would be kind of fun. But then I realized we all probably have that relative or friend that kept really strange things around, and maybe that wasn't the best response to our text today. But if some of you would really like to go home and, you know, put your, you know, jar of breadcrumbs together for a visual reminder, that is awesome. In all seriousness, please do that. It can be helpful. In our last two verses, as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the covenant for safekeeping. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Cana. This is the word of the Lord. A lot of reading. Coming into a habitable land, to a land that would sustain and to a world that was not so hostile is, I think, what we all hope to experience and feel. And until the world is as God intends, and of course, we participate in making it so, may any grumbling, any external composting on our end be met with the slow steady inner metabolism as we continue in the journey of becoming the people of God. I think about the smallness of manna, God encouraging small bites, morsels at a time to be metabolized. The inner work and processes are not quick, just as processes of becoming take time. I mean, the Israelites didn't make a hard shift in their own becoming, even in the midst of receiving their daily portion of manna. If we were to keep reading in this story, we'd see that the people continue to grumble in the face of various adversities. And God continues to show up anyhow, to help teach them how to live and how to be a people, 
eventually giving them the Ten Commandments or what we like to call the Ten Best Ways to Live. They even became tired of following a God they couldn't see, and they try to capture in their minds and with their hands tangibly who this God is. In their own ignorance and distrust and quest to know the God who saved them, they even made an idol, that golden calf. My point is this, that the process of becoming, which includes composting and metabolizing, it all takes time. And it's ongoing, as, it, as is evident with the current events in Israel today. Before we shift gears into reflection and conversation as promised, I'd like to note that not all grumbling is met with something as miraculous as manna in the wilderness or some sort of feast, the gift of a feast in desert times. Sometimes lament simply just is. It's not something that is then responded to or met with something that's tangible. But there is something to be said about being honest before God and coming to understand who we are to be in this world as we ask, what is it? With each morning frost in this season, may we be reminded of the slow, steady, faithful provision of daily sustenance and its correlation to the consistent metabolism that takes place alongside the external composting work as we connect with what is being awakened in us and what our bodies know about the generative forces passed down to us today. May we be on the lookout for the uncoercive seed, the manna, the what is it, that God gifts day in and day out to us as a people who are becoming. May it be so. Amen. Our text for today is quite long. I don't love to read out loud, by the way. Good Lord. But um, I'm going to encourage you to have it open if you need to. Um, return to it if there was a portion that um, sparked something for you. I'm going to give us a few minutes for some personal reflection. You've got supplies around. Um, if you don't, feel free to grab some from nearby. Um, if there's anything you would like to scribble, jot down, draw, doesn't matter, thoughts you want to write down, I'm going to encourage you to do so for a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to move us into some small uh, group discussion time, and then we will have a couple of minutes on the back end for large group reflection to one another. There are three questions in your bulletin that have been kind of our standard questions. Um, they're meant for just prompting conversation. Those are, what is being awakened in us? What do our bodies know about the generative forces we hear coming through this particular text? And how might that uncoercive seed give way to life that is being passed down to us as we come to the table of the Lord? So go ahead and take a few moments uh, for personal reflection.
Right. We are going to take just a couple of moments if a um, couple of people would like to share what was discussed in your group or thoughts that you've had in reflection. As, um, as we prepare to do, to do this, I want to just remind us, um, I'm going to come next to you so that the folks on Zoom can hear you. We do have several folks on Zoom. Um, and so I'm going to have you use my mic by standing near me, or I'm standing near you. Um, and if you don't mind, if you could go ahead and give your name and if you feel comfortable, a, a brief visual description that will um, help everyone be able to participate and know you, that would be great. So Melissa Millis, for example, um, like 40, oh, I'm 41 now, whoa, graying hair, about 5'8", a little bit sassy this morning because I'm all worked up. Um, there's that, so, all right. Anyone like to share um, any of your reflections from group or personal thoughts from the text? What's your name? This is Dave, and I'm 50, almost 55. Woohoo! That. Um, bald white man. Um, we were talking about how the the implication of eating the same thing for 40 years, mm -hmm. and not not the like the taste and that kind of thing, but just that how that is kind of an impl uh, a connection to the idea that we expect often we expect things to get better so much more quickly mm. our timeline is like you know well I've been praying about this or I've been you know asking God to bring peace to this situation you know mm -hmm. and that we might be moving toward that but we don't know it and so we're just in the midst of the same thing and so those people were like the people died in the you know if, if yeah. the, to the extent that the story is like actually if, if it's actually happening dying during that time period and all they knew was that suffering that that struggle but eventually the struggle ended they just didn't get to see it so yeah. that's what we talked about any word or phrase resonate struggle, struggle. 40 years I'll make mention, uh, our group also discussed the 40-year piece, so building on your 40-year bit of struggling, that was also a period of time for rhythms to be established, which we often don't think about, Ryan was saying in our group, we often don't think about you know, the rhythms because we're so focused on, oh my gosh, they ate the same thing for 40 years. you know. Um, so yeah, the 40 years really stuck out. Anyone else? You're fine, you're fine. Victor Minatola, uh, 51 year old, uh, not bald, but I have my issues. Uh, <laughs> white man. Um, Baldness is not an issue. <laughs> 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 point, point taken. <laughs> um, 
into mm. the manna. Mm. Um, but it also reminded them of his provision of enoughness for each one of them and how we're no different than that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Any word or phrase resonate? Enoughness, yeah, I'm hearing enoughness. Anti-greed mechanism. <laughs> There's a sermon title for you. <laughs> Anyone else? All right. These conversations are fun. I love it. I know it's stretching for some of us, but it's also really good. Let's go ahead and shift gears and you can scroll to the prayers of the people in Lord's Table Liturgy. And while you're doing that, I would like to remind us that um, if you would like to respond today or have um, any prayer requests or would like to connect, um, you're welcome to grab me or anyone else um, that you know and are comfortable with um, to share. Um, to pray with you. If you would like um, to write anything down on a connection card over here, you can drop it in the offering basket that's there for anyone who calls Trinity their church home to put any tithes and offerings. Or you can fill out a card online as well. So you can stay seated while you do it if you'd like. Um, and so use that time here as we come to the table uh, to respond. You are welcome to join in the bolded parts. And literally, when it says community names individuals, we encourage you to do so out loud. Okay? I know that's weird, but we're going to, you're encouraged to do so out loud. All right. God, you have been with us throughout the ages. You have bore witness to the ways in which the story of us, of all that has come into being, that has woven together piece by piece, life by life. We recognize today that it is because of the saints who have gone before us that we are those who have struggled for justice, who have given so that others may live more freely. We would not be if not for them. In remembrance and gratitude, we name the saints who hungered for righteousness and whose sacrifices have contributed to a more just society. Because of those who have loved us, those who have nurtured us, embraced us, celebrated us or supported us. We are because they were. In remembrance and gratitude, we name the saints who have shaped our lives and being. We also hold in remembrance the ones whose lives were taken by injustice, 
the ones who never knew their own belovedness, the ones who passed on our faith, the ones who gave us art, gave us song, gave us poetry. We are because they were. Like us, we know they were imperfect too. There is no life that is not messy and contradictory, often betraying the very justice and love we seek to embody. And yet you, O oh God, promise that our labor to love is never made in vain. Help us to lean on the witness of those who have gone before us, drawing on the love, justice, community, and faith that weaves us together generation after generation, past, present, and future. With gratitude and remembrance, we pray. Amen. Lord, as we remember Jesus' stories of your realm, as we seek to care for him and our siblings, we seek to live that mystery we call faith. Jesus died so we might know your justice. Jesus was raised so we might know your love. Jesus will come so we will be gathered to you at last. You have searched for us steadfast love and gathered us in the sacred space where your spirit is poured out upon the gifts of the bread and the cup and on your children gathered from every place where we strayed. You fed us on the broken bread so that strengthened we would go to care for the hungry and needy, to welcome the stranger and straggler, to bring healing to the hurting. You offer the cup of grace so nourished with your love we would go to offer the parched your living waters, to visit those held captive by fear, to offer a warm heart to the lonely. Friends, the table of the Lord is open to all who seek to follow Jesus. <laughs> 